1: Well, the World Champion Black Ferns returned to action last night, putting on an impressive display against uh, the hapless Wallaroos in Brisbane. Several players made their debut for Alan Bunting's side as they look to impress ahead of next month's North American Tour. uh, And of course, uh, the possibility of the World 15 edition number one later in the year, which we are hosting in New Zealand. Well, former Black Ferns captain, Les Elder, has plenty of experience when it comes to beating Australia on their soil, and she's joined us this morning to talk about last night's win. Good morning to you, Les.
0: Morning, Smithy Thanks for having me.
1: No, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, um, what are you up to these days, by, these days, by the by? Because, of course, um, you've retired <laughs> now. So what's keeping you busy?
0: Yeah, well, I've sunk myself into a bit of part-time work. Obviously, I've got a baby due in two weeks' time, so taking the time to just kind of catch up on a few years of uh, hard work. So, um, yeah, working, part-time studying, part-time, and then just doing a bit of speaking and things like that around around the place. So it's been quite nice.
1: Fantastic. Absolutely great to, to hear that. Right, uh, what a performance last night. First up, uh, when you consider there was uh, a lot of new combinations, uh, a lot of um, yeah. relatively new people to the mix. So what did you make of it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought... <sighs> I thought awesome to see six girls get to debut with a couple of them dotting down over the try line, um, which was really cool. Um, I thought defensively they were outstanding, like the intent that they had at the breakdown. Australia just couldn't really compete with that. Um, it seemed like they were a bit, uh, I guess, I thought they were quite structured to start with, and then they tried to sort of open it up and bring back that free-flowing style of rugby we've seen last year, which obviously came with a few Errors as expected in, in game number one, but I did find that when they actually got it right, they were pretty, um, pretty relentless. So overall, they'd be pretty happy with that performance.
1: Les, one of the things that you, you always look at with a scoreline like fifty to nil. I mean, we rave about the attacking side of things because they managed to score eight tries, but well, the nil is also important, isn't it, in terms of the defence because that's where it comes from. So uh, that I think that might have been a, a bit of a tick in the column for Alan Bunting last night.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think they were, that defensive effort from them, um, and you could see the intent in their line speed. Sometimes, you know, a little bit disconnected, but again, first game, that's something they'll tidy up. Um, I thought Ruahe de led that line speed really well a couple of times with some crucial tackles. You can see their the dojo work paying off as well. You know, you've got locks like Maya Rue, who's not the biggest framed girl, um, bending Eva Kapani backwards who's the Australian prop so yeah I mean some of that work that they've been doing in the preseason season um, is starting to pay off and it, I can't wait to just see it
2: grow and grow
1: Well young Sylvia Brunt has uh, captured uh, two or three of the headlines this morning with uh, a really strong performance last night, uh, what did you make of her at centre?
0: Oh, that's a kid that's just got a massive future, like 19 years old and doing what she's doing. A couple of of men, her tries were just hard, strong running lines. Um, And she's played a lot sort of between 12 and 13, so it'll be quite cool to see her get really comfortable at 12 um, inside Amy Dupcase and outside Joahei DeMont. So she was epic. She was outstanding. It would have been interesting to see what she'd done if she'd stayed on the field. but I also thought Liana Michaela too, who's another young girl from Auckland. I thought she was outstanding yesterday, both on attack and defence. The balance of her game was unreal.
1: Can you see anything uh, slightly different with Alan Bunting coming in with this performance last night? I mean, can you see his fingerprints on on any of that last night, or is it too early to tell?
0: Um, oh, I th- I thought at the start that they seemed a bit more structured and so I thought oh are we sort of going back to that um but then as the game sort of unraveled you seen that smithy influence come through last year and start to shine I thought there was a couple of interesting um kicking options a sort of in our own half sort of contestable kicks that probably didn't pay off but I wondered if that was something new and I know smithy wasn't huge on the big on the box kicks and things like that um but I, I think what they're trying, you know, they've talked about the DNA and how we like to play rugby, and I think that's still where they're going um, with a bit of polish, and I think that polish has just still got to come.
1: Okay, um, in terms of the next couple of years, I mean, do you perceive, uh, there's still a lot of rugby to be played this year just by the by, but uh, I just wonder whether you, you see this as a bit of a changing of the guard, or just an opportunity while uh, some of the uh, more senior players uh, take a spell doing other things
0: yeah I think the change of the guard came last year you know Um, we had so many girls debut for the team and I'm happy to say I was one of the ones that got changed out you know and and that's just how it is sometimes Um, so I think that change of the guard has sort of been happening for a little while sort of a past year Um, and it's it's good. Like the girls that are in there are playing some good rugby, um, but they're also giving other girls opportunity and rewarding girls for performance in Opaki, which I think is really critical. And in the stage of the game that we're at at the moment is we still are sort of getting used to professionalism. Um, the girls knowing that they can't, or well, that they have to be performing every time they get the opportunity to play. And to see um, Bunce reward performance in Opaki and see those girls debut last night Uh, I think that's really cool
1: it's a clear illustration that uh, Opaki is working isn't it because there would have been such a big transition and very little rugby uh, for these girls to to develop through I mean just it just has to keep happening and we have to see uh, an extended competition don't we
0: hundred percent, I agree. Um, Opaki, I mean, Kate Henwood, whose story I just love to tell, um, knowing Kate for the last sort of six years, um, she would never have been seen if she didn't get to play at Opaki this year. I mean, that lady's been playing rugby for the Volcanics for over a decade, you know, but it was in Opaki that she was seen and now she's made her debut at 34 years old. So, yes, Opaki has a crucial Part to play in, in our rugby calendar um, yes we want to see it extended I'm unsure if that extension is ready to go or that expansion is ready to go to Australia I think they've got to do a bit of work mm. so that we get some quality games um, but even if we can go to a two-round super rugby opa key here in New Zealand uh, I think that would be what everyone would be hoping for next year
1: yeah, it's a sort of double-edged sword isn't it really I mean we we know at the moment um, That we're superior to Australia Our scores reflect that, goodness me they've never Ever held the Laurie O'Reilly Cup um, But if we don't give them opportunities Against New Zealand sides uh, it's, it's very hard to see them Getting any better
0: Yeah, yeah it is a Double-edged sword um, And you've got the I guess we're still trying to grow the game So the quality of the fixtures needs to be you know attractive for people to come and put bums on seats and then at the same time we do want to help our neighbours because that we are going to make each other better so it's a tough um situation i guess for new zealand rugby and australia rugby to be in and i don't actually know what the decisions have been made um around 2020 uh, 2024 um, so yeah i think hopefully that news comes out soon
1: I think we get a better indication, too, as we head to, uh, towards uh, North America on just where this uh, current squad that Alan Bunting has uh, assembled are at. I think there'll be sterner tests over there.
0: Yeah, I mean, Canada, Canada have grown leaps and bounds over the years that I've played in the Black Ferns, and I thought last year their semi-final against England um, was the best game of rugby they'd played. You know, They almost beat England in that semi-final. Um, they're a team that's sort of semi-professional. Um, they've got some amazing athletes in there, especially their captain, Sophie DeGoody. So we're definitely up against the greater opposition next week. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, too, who Bunce goes with because I actually thought the bench made a great impact, especially that front row. Um, Amy Rule and Luca Connor uh, brought some power off the bench last night. So, yeah, up against the better opposition. it um, be interesting to see who they what combinations they go with
1: next week seven and a half thousand uh, turning up to watch it live i don't know what the viewing figures were but they'd be very healthy on this side of the tasman i'm sure are uh, you happy that the, the the women's rugby brand is growing in between world cups because we're always going to get that level of of excitement and interest at world cup time but it's those mm. years in between which are, are, are going to be i think um the talking point or, or the selling point in terms of the game
0: yeah, well, it's a, I mean, in the time that I was eight years in the Black Friends we'd never had a game in, in Brisbane, Australia, so um, to take it there, and Brisbane's got a strong Kiwi following as well, but also it's a strong rugby um, state, so to take the game there and, and to get, you know, on a Thursday night, um, was good to see. There's a lot of Kiwi supporters there, I must say, which is pretty cool, but um, yeah, we just need to keep moving on this momentum, you know, and we're seeing what's happening in the NRLW game and the things they're doing to market the game and to really make it appealing. Um, We could probably steal a few tricks off them, I reckon, but, um, yeah, we've got to capitalise on this momentum and finally to get the Black Ferns playing games after, what, maybe six, seven months since their last Mm. game. um, You know, yeah, we've got to see more test matches.
1: Oh, look, I totally agree. Some people would argue, look, we haven't seen the All Blacks since, uh, what, November last or December last year, and here we are uh, going to see them in a couple of weeks' time in July. So I suppose they would argue uh, that against it, but it, but it, is, important. Yeah, it, it really is important. It really is important. It's so important that, that, that it continues on in this vein, particularly, I think, because, uh, you know, we are the world champions, and if, if the world champions aren't on display, uh, what chance uh, for the game developing around the world?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, what was really cool, I think, um, to see this year was New Zealand rugby bid for the WXV, which they were successful in. So to get, you know, the top six t- t- women's teams in the country, uh, in the world, coming to New Zealand in October to play. um, I think that's awesome. And it's going to be a good spectacle and a bit of a, you know, rivalry match, not just with England, but... With France as well who'd probably be looking for a bit of redemption so I'm looking forward to that later in the year.
1: Yeah look I, I think we all are because we, we know that um, England and France but uh, when you see some of the the Six Nations women's rugby uh, come through to on our television screens I, I, I you know it, it makes you uh, have a desire to watch us more in, com- in combat with those those teams from the other side of the world and I think that is so important, like almost a, like a Northern Tour, like the All Blacks have every year, I, I think that should be on the cards almost.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, at the moment, right, the I guess the options are, are there, for, opportunities are there for us, and um, I, there's a bit of growth, I think, to happen in sort of the, the levels underneath the Blackburns and underneath Super Rugby Opaki. whether we go with a under-20s like the men's, or you know, that's what the Six Nations have at the moment. They have a Six Nations under-20s as well. So um, we got to keep up with that stuff, if not stay ahead of it. Um, but we've got a bit of catching up to do in that development space. But those are the opportunities that present themselves. Um, but I know, you know, everything. Money talks, so, yeah, it's, it can be yeah. very difficult as well.
1: Absolutely. Spot on. You summed that up beautifully. Um, I just wanted, too, uh, with your travels and the people that you're talking to, do you sense – in New Zealand, uh, we have capitalised on uh, a great World Cup last year to the extent that you would have liked to see, or, or are we lacking a wee bit?
0: Oh, um, I, I think, honestly speaking, we probably could have done a little bit more. Um, in saying that, I'm not in there in the thick of it like the girls are, so I know they've been involved in a lot of promotional stuff and things like that, which has been awesome. Um, but I do wonder if there was sort of opportunity lost, you know. But since November last year to now, um, what that what it could have looked like, I'm not too sure. So I do understand that it's it's a fast moving beast, the women's professional game, um, and mm. probably a beast that we're all struggling to keep up with. So uh, I feel for those at New Zealand Rugby that are, you know, tasked with making all the big decisions. But yeah, probably happy with where it's come. Count- we're, what we've got to look forward to for the rest of the year, but maybe missed a bit of an opportunity with that momentum, I think.
1: Yeah, I think we might have too, but however, um, maybe a double round of uh, Oopiki might have fixed that. But hey, look, Liz, uh, fantastic to catch up with you this morning. Thanks for your thoughts on last night and uh, the team uh, as it uh, assembles and its uh, new players in particular. Uh, all the very best, uh, most importantly, with, uh, with the baby in a couple of weeks time, and uh, thanks very much for your time. We, we really appreciate it.
0: No problems. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Kaki. Yeah, cheers. Liz Elder there, of course, a former Black Ferns captain. Pretty positive about what uh, she was witnessing last night, which was cool. Um, and uh, also uh, looking forward to sterner tests in Canada and the United States. They'll be waiting for us because uh, we're in the yardstick, of course. And then later in the year, the, the uh, WXV, the world, uh, WXV1, the first edition of it, uh, where those uh, six best teams from around the world come to us in like a mini World Cup situation. That is the kind of exposure women's rugby needs uh, because that will be full-on quality later in the year. 9.20 here on SNZ.
3: Right, pushes into the covers and there it is! Another test century for Stephen Smith. His eighth on English soil, his seventh against England in England. It has been a terrific knock from the moment he walked out yesterday with Australia just in a potential spot of bother. He has been in complete control. The ball has come off the middle of his bat pretty much continuously throughout this fantastic knock. He is the scourge of the English, he is the modern day Bradman. He is a truly wonderful player. Let's <laughs> ruminate on the height of players for a little while longer. Stark is in. This is clipped away through mid-wicket. It's a lovely shot. It's going up towards the boundary, in front of the grandstand. And that is a half century <laughs> for Graham Duckett, the much maligned Graham du- ben Duckett. Ben oh, Duckett. I Graham's the name of his father. His father will be watching on with pride today because Ben Duckett has scored a half century against Australia at Lord's. He'll want to get more oil, want to pile on more and get to 100 and get that on his board. But so far, job, half done for Ben Duckett. It's been a good knock.
4: The man at deep backwards square, but doesn't get there in time. And Nathan Lyon has hobbled a little bit as well. He's gone straight to his right leg. Oh, please. I think he's fine. He's back now throwing the ball down, but he is reaching for his right calf. No, no, no. So he was coming in off the rope. We're going to need a replay here for tyre power, clean, Bolt savings. So it was a genuine top edge from Duckett. Line was in off the rope, and then had to pull up before the ball got anywhere near close to him. Then he's oh. hobbling, and well, yes, that looks like a that
5: looks like a calf. Yeah, base value. Have, he's hobbling. They're going to yeah. have to help him off the field.
4: He pulled up like it was a hamstring or a. Where's calf? Johnny
5: Barrasso? He could help him.
4: Clutching below the knee, but oh, and he's signalling no. to the dressing room. Oh yeah. no, he's, oh, he's in, in huge trouble. Gone. Oh. This, this is a massive blow for Australia.
6: Duckett, top edge, could be caught, is caught. He is out too short of a century. Down fine leg's throat, that fine leg being David Warner. And he turns to the crowd and celebrates. And now he's mobbed by his teammates. And Ben Duckett cannot believe it. He dawdles towards the pavilion. Too short of what would have been a maiden Ashes century. The game swings again. It's bowling here to Root who hooks this away. Doesn't control it. Could be caught. And it has been taken low down by Smith. Diving forward. It was a top edge from Root. It was a question of whether it had carried. It has carried. And Joe Root, England's superstar, who was so dominant in the first test, is out and he does
3: not want to go. Well, he's waiting to see if it's caught. He's just waiting with the umps whether they'll go and check. They Has are this going been to check. safely taken?
6: They are going to check. So we are going to get a review. So there's no soft single signal anymore. So that can't lead us in any direction. He's been given out. The third umpire believes it was a fair catch. And Joe Root has been given out for 10, another casualty to the short ball, Steve Smith taking the catch, Mitchell start getting the wicket, England now crashing to 4 for 222, Root out for 10.
1: Yes, no shortage of drama last night, uh, day 2 at Lord's and uh, well we shouldn't really have doubted England, we shouldn't have really doubted Basball, should we? They have come back at Australia at a great rate of not. So 278 for four after knocking Australia over for 416. Uh, still probably 100 uh, or so too many on what they wanted when they won the toss and bowl first. But uh, they've got Australia nah, just sitting on the ropes a wee bit now. 278 for four. The Stokes at the wicket, Harry Brock, and they've still got Johnny Bairstow to come of their specialist players. And so uh, if they have a good first uh, hour, a good first session, Uh, they'll get pretty close to where uh, England, uh, where where Australia are at, and then they can go into profit and put pressure on in the second innings. But the big concern going forward for Australia is the calf muscle strain, it seems, uh, or even tear of uh, Nathan Lyon. Now, if it's a tear or he's pulled it, he won't be playing too much because the Ashes is over very, very quickly. The month of July sees it done, really, uh, and I think one day into August. So, uh, in all honesty, uh, it'll take a lot longer than that for a calf muscle injury to be, fixed so a real problem there for australia going forward i've got uh, a young spinner and todd murphy in their touring party but he's no nathan Lyon. so a a really poor day or bad day for australia yesterday all eyes will be on that recovery but uh yes uh, they look uh, pretty they look pretty good england they look very very good indeed so uh, duckett getting 98 crawley getting them off to a good start and uh, they did score at a great rate of knots yes just 61 overs so it's another 19 overs so Australia will have the advantage of a new ball and by then uh, the day might have been set up by England. So uh, a better day for them, much better day. They won day two clearly after losing day one. It's 9.31 here on SENZ. It is 9.33 and uh, we're going to cross to Tasman now to uh, talk about uh, a really odd piece of going on i think it's fair to say in uh, the horse racing industry uh, we're going to talk to jane Ivor of course jane uh, is uh, a former jockey here in new zealand a former horsewoman uh, and also a very fine presenter of uh, racing in australia if you watch uh, racing on a saturday in particular you'll see jane coming out of uh, uh, the meetings with her assessment of uh, the horses uh, the form etc uh, but this morning is a uh, slightly different uh, subject to talk about jane uh, good morning to you and thank you so much for your time
7: Good morning to you too. Yeah, no, a pleasure to join you this morning.
1: Well, it, it would be, uh, apart from the fact we're talking about something just a little bit odd, and it involves a young New Zealand jockey by the name of uh, Wiramu Pin. Uh, a lot of people call him Billy Pin over here. Uh, tell us about this weird saga that's unfolded and uh, what's happened as a result of it.
7: Well, it has been a little bit of a different one. Um, as people in New Zealand would know, Billy Pin has put together a terrific record as an apprentice in New Zealand and an opportunity arose for him to come over to Australia and ride and unfortunately well fortunately unfortunately the apprentice system in Australia is very different to New Zealand so when an apprentice in New Zealand wins a race doesn't matter where it is it goes on their tally of wins so the more wins they have when they hit the, their mark they decrease their claim Um In Australia, it's a little bit different because they work in two systems. There's sort of a country and provincial claim and a metropolitan city claim. And with Widamoo, when he came over here, a lot of his wins weren't classified as being metropolitan wins. So he went to the city here in Australia and and apparently claimed three kilos. Um, Unfortunately, when it was questioned, it seems to be that there was a little bit of an error in the way those wins were calculated. So from what I understand is that it's only at group one meetings that wins can be accumulated to come off of a metropolitan claim in Australia and what they have decided in their report is that there was a little bit of miscommunication between NZTR and between Racing Australia where they perhaps weren't precise enough in the details that they required so unfortunately the original numbers were incorrect a surprise nowadays, isn't it, that you think that, that that could happen at that sort of level, but unfortunately it did. They've put their hands up it and admitted that uh, perhaps they, that Racing Australia could have been um, a little bit more clearer and uh, Racing Victoria should have been a little bit more clearer in the instructions that they gave to NZTR. Either way, what has happened is Wittemupin had had 29 rides, I think, here in Australia with a three-kilo claim that he wasn't actually entitled to. He should have come over here and been a two-kilo claimer. And so, therefore, all the horses that he had ridden in that period have been disqualified. So it's basically like a rider weighing in light um, because he obviously carried a kilo less than what he should have on all those horses. Ultimately, I think the right decision was made. Um, RV have not called back the prize money won by those horses that were disqualified and they have uh, paid out or will pay out in the next run the prize money for the horses that obviously finished in behind in the placings I guess the only negative in the situation is um, people that had mares or fillies that won at city level and I think there were three that now lose that city win so that is quite valuable for them as a brood mare but that's probably the only negative in the situation then probably the right decision was
1: made in the end. So Jane in terms of uh, Billy Pinn, um, what have uh, Racing Australia or Racing Victoria determined there? Any fault with him? Uh, and, uh, Absolutely
7: what will the other, no what fault w- whatsoever.
1: Okay so that's so, cool, so look,
7: what will it's, it's the, the, attitude deten- be?
1: Yeah, the attitude be of the other jockeys etc towards him now? No resentment?
7: No, absolutely. No negativity, no resentment. It was just a really unfortunate situation. Obviously, Billy would not have been aware, um, just because the calculations are so different in the, way that, um, in the way that you determine whether a win in New Zealand is a metropolitan win or not. So mm. Billy would have been completely unaware of that calculation. And obviously, in good faith, rode believing that... Um, the jurisdictions between Australia and New Zealand would have got that sort of information correct. So um, he is by no means at fault at all in the situation. Um, he's probably just a little bit caught in the middle, to be fair. Um, and yeah, there's there's no resentment, no hard feelings that have forward. He's doing a great job over here at the moment.
1: I would imagine, therefore, Racing Victoria will look at their processes pretty carefully. I mean, yeah you, you could imagine it sort of happening in years gone by when a lot of the racing records, et cetera, were handwritten and you relied on on that kind of information, but now everything is so uh, it's so technically put together that it would be very hard to see how a mistake like this could have possibly been made, so they'll have to review their system a wee but wouldn't they? i think
7: I think the entire system will be reviewed not only obviously the communication between the two countries, but I think the way that um that Racing Victoria look at, at their apprentice claim system as well. Um, obviously, as I said, they've put their hand up and said that, that the wording that was used when they went to New Zealand and asked for the information was not clear or precise enough. So everybody has actually acted in good faith. So the information that NZTR have provided is what they believed they were being asked for, but as it turns out, it wasn't 100% correct what had been the, the wording and the communication from Australia to New Zealand. So, mm. um, unfor- unfortunately, this is the outcome of that. And um, as you know, when these things happen, there's always an inquiry into how they happen so that, that we don't see this happen again.
1: I've just studied the fields, uh, Jane, and I see he's got at least three rides at Flemington tomorrow. That's a good sign.
7: Yeah, no, he's been really popular since he arrived over here. He's... Um, He's had plenty of rides at metropolitan level and uh, he's getting really good support from a lot of the top stables over here in Melbourne and um, he's with the right stable. He's with Michael Kent at Cranbourne and he's been a um, brilliant master of apprentices through his time. So um, he's setting himself up for success with move. I guess it's now just up to him to continue to perform on the track and continue to work hard and, and do the right thing.
1: Hey Jane, uh, fantastic uh, for you to come on uh, to our show and clarify that situation because uh, initially it looked uh, a little bit messy but it's good to see that it's come to uh, the right kind of end and uh, hopefully it doesn't happen again. Uh, thanks for your time, uh, all the very best uh, we'll watch your work over the weekend and going forward cheers.
7: No problem, thank you very much.
1: Uh, Jane Ival there out of uh, Australia with her thoughts on the, the billy pin situation, yeah pretty embarrassing all around really isn't it and then I think, as Jane pointed out, the right decision has been made in terms of not punishing anyone. Really, um, all the owners uh, and trainers will not, um, and jockeys uh, can, and jockey concerned, uh, basically, uh, what I mean, will not be punished in any regard from that. Uh, they won't take uh, any income off them, and of course, they're going to because it's their mistake and they've owned up to it. They're going to pay out uh, to the, the uh, other uh, owners, trainers, and jockeys who effectively have been promoted. Uh, because all those horses have been basically disqualified. So it's uh, quite a big payout that they'll be looking at, uh, double whammy as such, but uh, they'll learn from their lessons and uh, you would imagine it wouldn't happen again. It's an unusual one because not very often uh, apprentices go over and ride uh, this early in their career and normally you're a fully-fledged jockey and claims, etc., don't uh, happen to be uh, such an issue. Uh, very odd one and handled very, very poorly, it seems, in the uh, Racing Victoria have uh, put their hand up and said, it's on us. 9.42 here on SENZ.
5: No when the fold Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bed
7: live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
1: Right, uh, looking at yesterday's uh, multi, and don't you hate it when your sons give you a hard time because you've got your multi so poorly wrong. Um, so yes, I, I took the Cronulla Sharks uh, to... Uh, and, uh, and sorry, Cronulla Sharks and St George, uh, total points under 44.5. Well, it blew out, didn't it? Of course, it blew out. The Sharks uh, absolutely monstered them. Uh, St George have got a few issues, it seems. We'll talk about that a little bit later with Sam Ackerman, of course. Um, and uh, of course, uh, the Tuatara uh, to beat the Ears. well, uh, they did get up and beat them uh, with the handicap of uh, minus 10.5. So uh, it would have been okay if I'd have gone a little bit braver uh, in terms of. The points with uh, Cronulla. Now today, uh, well, there's no rugby on of uh, any substance. So uh, let's uh, talk about uh, three games of rugby league over the weekend. The Warriors to beat the Rabbitohs tonight at a dollar fifty-seven. Confident about that. Uh, the Rabbitohs look a little bit dishevelled, don't they? And um, of course, Latrell Mitchell was not part of their group, so I think Warriors' advantage there. Raiders to beat the Titans at a dollar sixty-three. Don't mind that one. Ricky Stewart's boys uh, looked pretty impressive last week. Uh, and the Broncos, minus nine and a half. The Broncos, minus nine and a half. So that's the handicap uh, to beat the Dolphins, who might have peaked. I think it's fair to say they might have peaked in their efforts. Uh, and uh, that's at $1.83. So Warriors, Raiders, uh, Broncos, minus nine and a half. And that multi's out for the weekend at $4.68. $4.68. Uh, let's look at a couple of ticks there, shall we? Jared's uh, coming and said, oh, Hi, Smithy. I'm really concerned about New Zealand rugby. Uh, watching the under 20s, we just don't seem to produce good, hard working forwards. Our first 15 comps just seem to want to produce flashy midfield and outside backs who love front football, and a lot of these players just go to the NRL. We need to scrap high performance schoolboy rugby, make it happen. And, and naturally, uh, like it used to be, lovely work. Thank you very much, Jared. Interesting, yes, beaten up very uh, convincingly by France. Uh, in the last uh, round after just nudging Wales by one point uh, they were no match for france so and we know france's physicality there so that's a very good observation jared and uh, maybe there are some uh, slightly worrying signs there that we should perhaps uh, reflect on Uh, and what was the name of the english cricket player that the guest on your show put money on as a kid to play for england one day has it happened yet yes it has carl in fact it's happened uh, against ireland about uh, 10 days ago when uh, Ireland played England at Lords. And uh, the player you're thinking of is uh, Josh Tung. Uh, Tim Piper came on our show as the man that put the money on at 500 to 1. Uh, he put uh, 100 quid on and won £50,000. Well, Josh Tongue is actually playing against uh, Australia for England, he got 3 for 98. Uh, so uh, he picked up uh, the first two wickets, that of Warner and Kawaja. So he had another one later in the inning. So, Carl, yes, it has happened. Uh, he's cashed in his ticket. Uh, and uh, Josh Tung looks like a pretty good prospect too, I've got to say. Uh, Andrew's come in and said, uh, Smithy, awesome sportswoman. We flew over from Amaru to watch when my boys talked and got signatures of most of them last night, and Ruhe sat down with us in the stand for a few minutes just to chat and thank us for coming. Old Sammy would never Sammy would never do that? Mm. Uh, probably not. Uh, yeah, good observation. Black Fern's top team, Andrew. That's cool that you had uh, a nice little bit of rapport with them. It is at 951 here on SENZ. <laughs> Reminds me with the Ashes being on. Uh, Mick Jagger loves uh, a bit of cricket. He's a member of Surrey, so he'll be uh, at the uh, Lord's Test. There's no doubt about that. All the dignitaries come out with uh, Lord's Test matches. So uh, I think uh, if you're watching the coverage, you'll see uh, plenty of famous people. Uh, It is such an occasion. Um, Also, in terms of uh, golf this morning, we can give you some golf updates. It's the Rocket Mortgage Classic being held at uh, Detroit, Michigan. That's the last stop. Uh, so far on the PGA Tour. and At the moment, uh, when they come to the end of Round 1, which is not too far away, uh, the leaderboard uh, looks like this with uh, Quest and Moore at 8-under. So they're both shot 64s, and then there's a host of players at 7-under with 65, including uh, Ryder and Bennett and Schenck and uh, Sa. Um, and then you get uh, down to 6-under, where you're looking at uh, Colin Morikawa and uh, Ricky Fowler. Uh, So it's not, uh, in terms of the strength of the field, it's not one of the strong ones uh, because the players are taking a bit of a break now and uh, looking to build on the other side of the world. Uh, Of course, uh, the DP Tour side of the world and that is uh, when they start to focus on the Open Championship which is uh, not too far away, of course, uh, coming out of Royal Liverpool. Uh, And just looking at uh, the British Masters, which is being played in uh, England at the moment And uh, that is the DP World Tour, $3,500,000 up for grabs. Justin Rose, the Englishman, uh, is at uh, 7-under. He's had some pretty good form of late on the PGA, so you'd say he would be a pretty good bet to go very close in this one. Uh, Jamie Donaldson, uh, the Welshman, is in second place at 6-under, and then there's a couple of shots back to the field. So uh, incidentally, in that market as well, Daniel Hillier, Uh, from New Zealand, finished with uh, an even par round, and at the moment is tied for 54th. Uh, Right, we'll talk about uh, what's going on in Europe, uh, European sport at the moment, so much, uh, but it's added to very shortly by the start of the 110th edition of the Tour de France. It uh, will be beginning in Bilbao in Spain and finishing in the Champs-Élysées in Paris, the traditional finishing line there, that uh, last stage is uh, an interesting one more of a a sightseeing one really but uh, between those two places they have got a hell of a lot of work to do and we'll talk about that with Julian Ineson very shortly here on SCNZ coming up to 10 o'clock this year we have a new Kiwi rider on tour Invercargill's very own Corbin Strong will take uh, on the world's best cyclists over 2,100 miles with his team Israel Premier Tech and Southland-based cycling coach and commentator Julian Ineson joins us this morning uh, to preview the 110th edition of the Tour de France. Uh, Julian, good morning to you and thank you so much for coming on.
4: No problem whatsoever.
1: Corbin Strong, what a good story this is and what a great opportunity.
4: Oh, it's an outstanding one, and, and obviously um, biased being a, a local lad, seeing him progress through the ranks and to make it to the ultimate stage of cycling, and that is something quite some, some fantastic piece of history, really, because he's uh, only the second Southlander to make it to, to this particular race, with uh, Tom Scully being there in the last uh, few years as well. No doubt Tom's been in contact with him, giving him some advice. Heading into the three weeks of, as you said, a, a very grueling event, indeed, uh, where they're going to be climbing in excess of 5,000 meters in some cases on some days. here yeah, it's it's going to be a tough ask for the young man, but uh, he's certainly got the right attitude to going into it.
1: Well, Julian, this is a good story because it's it's not an easy it's not easy. I mean, so many would try to be a part of a team for a premier event like this. Just how hard has it been for, in terms of his pathway?
4: Yeah, it's uh, an interesting pathway for the likes of Corbin. It's riders over the years, it's changed a lot. Of course, for New Zealanders, it was very, very difficult in the early days. There was just no lead-in whatsoever. But nowadays, you see a number of Australians and New Zealanders getting in via the ways of uh, Swift, for example. And that's um, where we see the likes of the Michael Binks of this world, who got picked up by his uh, UAE team there by on the online racing. You've got likes of Corbin who's gone through the track route, really. And that's, uh, And when he took out that real title a couple of years ago in the points race, that really earmarked for him for a number of teams around the world thinking this guy's got the goods. They keep a close eye on those guys at Commonwealth Games and Olympics and World Cup meetings and at the end and the endurance side of things. And that's often where they get a bit of a tap on the shoulder and get that opportunity to take up the reins of going into the real team. But of course, once you're in it, and that doesn't mean you're naturally going to make it to this top stage here with the Tour de France. He's had to work extremely hard over the last couple of years to show to his team that not only is he a performer both on the bike, but also very much the professional off the bike as well. And that's where, I guess, for our general public, they don't see a lot of that hard yards that goes on, the dealing with the media, the nutritional side of things, dealing with injuries and so forth, like a lot of sports. Um, But they've seen the talent of this young man. They know he's got the right attitude. They know he's got the winning ways. He knows where to position himself well. Of course, he took out a stage earlier the year with the Tour of Britain. Mm So that cemented it for him, and, uh, and now he's got that opportunity to take on the world's best
1: Julian what will Corbin's role be within this uh, team um, you know there are certain uh, roles obviously in team cycling as such what what do you think uh, his job will be
4: well first and foremost he's going to be one of the, uh, the hard workers in the team the uh, what they call the domestiques. and uh, they've got teams of eight riders that are involved in their in their tour team and they've all got specific roles you've got sprinters you've got climbers you've got the guys going for the general classification and each team comes in with a, a different uh, approach to the tour and uh, for his particular team they'll be hunting out particular stages and then he's very um, well supported with some very experienced uh, riders, riders within his team here that will give him plenty of advice and guidance throughout that week but they've already earmarked for him the opportunity to try and take out some of the stages which will involve the sprinters, the bunch of kicks but also wouldn't count him out and in being involved in one of the breakaways and that during the tour where he gets down to a small group and knowing the sort of kick that he's got at the end of a stage here, he could well be in serious contention because of course he's up against some of the world's best sprinters, I mean you've got a piece of history there's lots of stories within the tour and, that, and this year none more so when you've got the likes of Mark Cavendish who's going to be one of the guys he's going, that Corbin's going to be going head to head with in those bunch kicks and of course Cavendish is trying to extend his winning ways with the tour um, stage wins and to ensure that he gets the record there after coming back from retirement basically on the brink of retirement in the last couple of years so it's going to be it's going to be a hard hard ask for corbin but he's got a very good team around him that'll be leading him out into those sprint finishes
1: right 21 stages uh, eight flat four hilly eight mountainous uh, four summit finishes and one time trial uh, who are our leading contenders? Uh, who are the names we should be looking at uh, to be at the forefront wearing the yellow jersey predominantly?
4: Well, of course, you got the defending champion there, Vinegard there of the Jumbo Visma team. And, and that team as a whole is outstanding, with the sort of riders that they've got around them. He's been in some very good form in uh, recent weeks here leading into it. And it uh, looks like he's going to be a serious contender once again. And the team he's going to be right up against. And I talk about teams because, of course, yes, there is an individual that will be in yellow and in the various respective classification jerseys. But they've got riders around them who are all working towards supporting that rider to get there. It's a team event. And that will be the UAE team, Emirates team. Of course, George Bennett from New Zealand is a member of that team. Unfortunately, due to an accident, he won't be uh, joining Pogaccia, who, of course, is the man that's won the tour a couple of times over. And, and Vinegar took it off from last year there. So these two, I expect to go, as does the world expects these two men to go head-to-head throughout the three weeks of racing. Both have been in outstanding form. Uh, Both have had injuries and sickness at different points during the season, but um, have certainly shown that they're coming into this in some fine form Um, Bugatti, of course, is taking out the Slovenia National Road Race Championship and time trial just in recent days. So we know he's very much ready to go. And in his own words, he said he's got nothing to lose. He's not coming in as a defending champion. So, of course, he doesn't have as much pressure and that's um, expected of him. But people know exactly what this guy is capable of. So that'll be a fine race to watch. As for the remainder of the podium, and you've got a number of Australians in there in the mix. There's about a dozen of them in contention. Uh, Jai Hindley would be one of those guys from the Bora team that would expect the 27-year-old. And it um, doesn't have a lot of experience when it comes to the big grand tours as such, And it, um, but it's certainly had some good results over the last few seasons. Uh, Lander from the Bahrain victorious team he's been around for a number of years he's one of the the old kids and experience counts for a lot in any tour but particularly in a grand tour at 33 years of age this guy's still pretty experienced he's had five appearance appearances in the tour and he's got fourth in 2017 and in 2020 so I'd expect him and a young man that's uh, really erratic with his uh, riding and he managed to climb up to fourth overall last year and then we'll have the hopes of the nation on his shoulders Will be a and that's of um, Israel, oh, sorry, of Israel, of uh, the French capital of France, and that there. They'll the, the guy that uh, they'll be looking to try and emulate the results of the French back a long time ago when they took out this tour. But it's been a very long time since we've had success from the French. So he's one of the men there that'll be trying very hard to get himself on the podium.
1: Julian, uh, what will be the stages in your mind, uh, looking forward to the fact, I mean, they go across uh, the Pyrenees, the Massif Central, uh, Jura, the Alps. Um, what are the deciding stages for you, uh, you think, uh, in terms of working out uh, the eventual winner?
4: Well, I think the second week of the tour is going to be a particularly nasty one for these riders, and that's where they've got a lot of climbing, as I mentioned some of these stages here, these riders are going to be climbing in excess of 5,000 meters um, in elevation, and that's and that's and they're going to have to back it up day after day after day. And when they go over towards the Tourmalet and so forth, and they some significant climbs. So I think really there's no one particular stage, but more the fact of having to back up um, three or four stages within a, in a row. There, um, the sprinters are going to have likes of and Them, it's going to be tough. And the, the medium-sized climbs, that you'll be fine with those big clients, because they've got to make a time cut each day, and that's based on a percentage of the winner's time across the line. So they've often got their own little race to try and time that to perfection to ensure that they can get themselves through to that final uh, bounce kick into um, France, into Paris, I should say, and that's um, for the traditional finish there. So that second week, I think who will start to really see the GC contenders emerge? Um, however... And that as a number of the top guys have said, and Pagacha being one of those guys, out there, right from day one. This year, there is no individual time trial. There's no team's um, time trial. Instead, it's a relatively lumpy sort of a circuit that they'll be doing. And, uh, and that straight away could see some time gaps starting to open up. I mean, this year's two is only offering the one-time trial, which is a mountainous one, and that could be a bit of a difference there for a few of the key top three or four riders at that point in time, and whether you can uh, not necessarily win the race, but you could easily lose the race at that particular time if you're not having a good day and not backing it up.
1: Interesting, there are two rest days. I was uh, looking at the calendar this year, one on July 10, uh, one on July 17, so a week apart. When I say rest days, what what does that entail for a, a cyclist uh, when you're competing in an event like the Tour de France?
4: Yeah, well, if we talk about our top contenders with Pagetja and uh, Vinegar, for example, they'll have quite a lot of media commitments, and that which is not ideal for them, and that uh, they obviously rest as. Is- foremost for these riders but when i say rest it's quite often active rest i mean there's been accounts of riders over the years who've gone out and done motor pacing and that which is literally you go out on your bike and you're in behind the motorbike or in behind a car with its boot open and that's there and they'll do over 100 kilometers Because, again, talking about riders being able to back it up each day, the body can react quite differently for each of the riders. And um, as much as the the body's screaming out for rest, and uh, if you just don't quite get that balance right between the sleep, the nutrition, and just actively keeping the legs just turning over, after an actual rest day, you can actually see quite often a number of riders actually struggling a little bit for the next day or two. And again, that uh, is a danger time for some, and then if they're having a bad day and their t- key competitors are actually bounced back pretty well with it there, they can lose some big time. So it's a funny old one in terms of how the body will react, and each rider will have their own specific ways that they'll try to approach it, but for the vast majority, they'll do a ride of some sort. Um, as I said, can vary between, you know, an hour or so out on the road to being out for three or four hours.
1: You mentioned Mark Cavendish before, and uh, he's been threatening to retire for some uh, period of time now uh, i just wonder when he does go and it may be at the end of this tour what will his legacy be because uh probably one of the best known riders still competing in terms of uh new zealand people watching on i mean it's a very familiar name
4: oh absolutely he's um, a real legend in the sport and, and this will be his last uh, tour de france and at the end. Uh, it's his 14th time that he's going to be fronting onto the line to be riding for his new team this year of Astana. It'll be interesting to see how they combine as a lead out train for their sprinter. And as we mentioned earlier on, I mean, this is where his ambition is to claim the 35th stage win in this particular tour, which will surpass the record of a name that a lot of your listeners will well know in the sport of Eddie Merckx, who did it all from whether it was a bunch sprint, whether it was a climb, whether it was a time trial. And Kem course, he won into Rome in, the, in recent months in the Giro, and then on the final days, confirming that uh, his 2023 season it is his final season, and that he was actually shouldn't be written off. That he's actually still a guy who should be seriously um, a contender for some of these bunch of prints. But he's going to have to work it just right. He's got a few opportunities, but there's not a mass as you mentioned earlier on. A lot of the course is very lumpy, and it's, so it's going to make life very difficult. But a man of his experience. Um, he knows how to get himself around three weeks of a grand tour. And as I've said before, experience can um, cater for a lot of that when it comes to these major tours here, both on and off the bike. But uh, he will leave a legacy that, uh, to be I honestly can't see that being broken by a number of riders in the, in the current formats, and that's uh, in terms of the sprinting ability at least. But then when you've got the likes, likes of Gatcha, and Vinegar and Co so and that there, they're certainly going to be riders that are going to set their mark and already have begun to set their mark in the sport. But from a sprinting point of view, Cavendish will be a name that will be long remembered.
1: Just uh, looking at the other end of the scale, then we're talking about the greats here. And uh, now we look uh, towards the future. You mentioned uh, George Bennett. You, you've, we've talked about Corbin, of course. Um, but what about the young Kiwi riders? I mean. Uh, I mean obviously this would be a goal for them but how many realistically uh, how's it looking at that level now in terms of um, development of our riders towards this kind of stage?
4: I think it's very good in terms of the fact that we now have a number of riders who are riding at the highest level across the world now both on the track, on the road and mountain biking, cyclo-cross, gravel racing and that so the young riders of today now have got, um, it's it's an actual reality if they put the work in. And, of course, it's got to be in the right place at the right time. Um, but there's certainly... It's no longer that distant sort of goal, but just a bit of a dream, and that they can actually turn that into reality, given that uh, New Zealand riders are being seriously um, looked at nowadays by a lot of these top teams. And we've seen that over the years. I mean, of course, we've got some very good record even in the Tour de France, and at the likes of uh, mm. Jack Fowler, Patrick Devon, and that's uh, George Bennett and Dion Smith. Of all, actually won stages in the tour, but it was in their the team uh, team time trial, which is an outstanding effort in the South. You've got Greg Henderson uh, and Julian Dean and Hayden Rolston to name but a few. And it, uh, so, yeah, we've got a fine record there, but it's definitely the doors have opened a lot, in particularly, uh, probably in about the last uh, four to five years. Uh, the Australasian riders, had the Australians and the Kiwis. And now of course, we've got two this year, Dion Smith back in there. Again, I think is about his third uh, tour. And this young man, I mean, he's actually, he was the first New Zealander to ever wear, wear a classification jersey, um, wearing the King of the Mountains jersey after the first few days of the tour there a few years ago. So it's, it is a reality, but it's, it's hard yards and it's, um, there's a lot of, a bit of luck involved. And as I said, being in the right place at the right time, having the right contacts. But I think uh, also nowadays, there's different ways of which to approach. You don't necessarily have to go through the track program or go through a certain road program there are different contacts out there think, for these riders. And New Zealand riding has um, developed a lot when you've got the likes of uh, James Kenny and behind the Mitre Q team, for example, which has uh, had a number of riders develop on through. We've got the Black Spoke team, who are now lifted, gone right up to the, the highest levels. And seeing photos of some of those guys the other day, likes of young uh, Tom Sexton of Southland, um, standing alongside some of those real tour riders on the podium. And that uh, these guys are now rubbing shoulders with them. Not only just rubbing shoulders, they're not there just to participate and hold hands. They're actually there to race and uh, and contest, which is um, great for the sport, great for our country, and certainly fantastic for our young riders to aspire towards.
1: Julian, some late nights ahead for you then in the next three weeks.
4: Oh, it certainly is. As, I said, um, as having a, a local involved, and in they're just having a couple of Kiwis, but I mean. Just as a, a sport in itself, let alone all the history, which I know you, you talk to a lot of people, they, they love the coverage, and that deep, because you learn so much about France, and, uh, and of course a bit about Spain this year too, when that's where it starts, um, before they cross the borders in a couple of days' time, but uh, just the whole history of it and all the things that go on behind it, it's, uh, it's certainly a hard one to pull yourself away from the TV, but I uh, just look forward, I just hope the, the guys manage to stay upright, stay well, and, uh, and enjoy their first ever experience, because it'll be one that uh they'll remember for the rest of their lives
1: oh, i totally agree i think it's one of the best covered sports uh i can remember in terms of its geography it is just the and the churches and the, the laneways that they they cycle through the little villages the towns and the people along the side it is just uh something very very special julian uh you've uh, really uh, previewed it in magnificent fashion for us this morning uh we look forward to it and particularly the performance of corbin strong and uh Thank you very much for your time uh, and uh, perhaps uh, maybe towards the, the conclusion we might uh, get you to give us a bit of a review as well because that would be fantastic. Cheers, man. No problem. Thanks, guys. Here, cheers. Uh, Julian Inneson there uh, out of Invercargill uh, with a real vested interest in young Corbin Strong who's on the tour so we do uh, have uh, a, a, a really vested interest in it ourselves but uh, it is spectacular. The Tour de France, my old friend I used to work with John Cardwell, absolutely loved it. Loved it. Probably still does. Ten twenty-one.
3: In the middle of the, night, middle of the night. I go walking in my sleep. From the mountains of sleep. something something I But the river is wide And it's too hard to crawl to cross Even though I know the river is wide I walk
7: down
1: every even and stand on the shore. Well, but it's been a lot of sleepless nights for a lot of young women um because of course, the, the football fans uh, have the World Cup coming up, uh, and it's uh, under three weeks now. It's under three weeks, and this morning at 11.45, uh, those sleepless nights will end for a few of them because uh, Clint Clover will confirm her actual squad for the World Cup. 23-strong squad, um, and uh, that'll be announced at 11.45. We hope to be able to bring it to you on our show if we can't. Uh, then certainly staff will be uh, highlighting it, I'm sure, because it's so significant. The biggest sporting event, uh, I think, this country, in terms of uh, global notice uh, for quite some time. Rugby World Cup, yes, very big. Women's Rugby World Cup, yes, very big. Uh, Women's Football World Cup, bigger than you think. And uh, so for 23 uh, young ladies, this is going to be the opportunity of a lifetime to play at home in a World Cup, which is absolutely outstanding. Um, and uh, not only that, uh, they uh, each will receive a, a minimum of uh, $49,000 in prize money. So it's quite significant. And uh, in, in that respect, 50 grand you can basically say in the in the pocket for a lot of these young ladies who uh, make a lot of sacrifice and don't get a lot of financial rewards for it. So it's huge. Uh, so what are we expecting uh, with this side? Uh, we look for perhaps for the return of Annali Longo, who uh, we have interviewed on the station. Uh, she's recuperating, or has been for quite some time, and rebuilding in terms of uh, her leg injury. Uh, so we're expecting her to come back in. Uh, we're looking for uh, Ali Riley to be in the squad, of course. Um, Rhea Percival, uh, the possibility of her back in the midfield as well with Amalia Steinmetz and uh, maybe Betsy Hassett. Olivia Chance, that makes it a very strong midfield. Uh, The goalkeeper situation, uh, they'll take three goalkeepers into the World Cup. Uh, Perhaps uh, Victoria and Elite and uh, Aaron Naylor will be given the the custodian's role to sort out between them. And of course the interesting name in the defending side of things of Michaela Foster. uh, Daughter of uh, Ian Foster, of course the All Black coach. And what a special occasion that will be for him. I would imagine through some of the tough times he's had in the last... uh, Six to eight months, uh, the continuing rise of uh, his daughter Michaela through the ranks very quickly into uh, a World Cup situation uh, would make him exceptionally proud. It is uh, 10.30 here on SENZ. Got that to look forward to later in the morning. Uh, We've also got a panel, uh, not a panel, a bulletin coming up with uh, Aidan McLaughlin out of Hawke's Bay. Uh, And don't forget we're going to talk to uh, Sam Ackerman just uh, after 11 o'clock on uh, this round. It's uh, round 18 of the NRL. Uh, and at 11.30 we will be uh, doing our darndest to give away 250 bucks worth of TAB vouchers to some lucky punter who can answer three very simple questions. You got it, you got it. We'll uh, queue for calls there uh, a little bit later in the morning. It is now 10.30 as I say. Time for the news.
6: and grows cause I just wanna fly, lately Did you ever feel the pain, in the morning rain I just soaked you to the bone Maybe I just wanna fly, wanna live but don't wanna die Maybe I just wanna breathe
1: I think you can probably glean by the odd song here that I don't choose some of the music that comes on. Some of them are a bit more my vintage. Uh, we did have a bit of on the other day but that was extremely sarcastic from Brian. Um, so uh, we just have a variation of music to get us uh, through the morning in, in and out of things uh, including uh, a couple of texts here. Uh, high smithy we lost the under-20s. Uh, also, Georgia beat Argentina and Italy beat South Africa. Uh, that's big, They are big results, really, really big results. Uh, Anthony, thanks uh, for filling us in on that. Uh, I think they're great results, personally. Uh, great results in terms of the future of rugby. Uh, they want it to be global. Well, they're certainly global results. And if they can develop their under-20 talent, the likes of Georgia and uh, Italy and uh, those teams and uh, turn it into a uh, decent World Cup talent, that is something very, very special. So uh, thanks for filling us in on that. Uh, Kevin, as always, uh, gives us uh, at least one text today and uh, sums up the situation beautifully for us. Uh, Morning, Smithy. Uh, Ashes game and series changer with Lyon being gone. Uh, I totally agree with you, uh, Kevin. If, if Nathan Lyon is gone uh, for the duration with a calf injury, uh, not just this test match, but the rest of the series... Um, uh, really does uh, start looking towards uh, England, of course, uh, without a specialist spinner themselves, uh, with losing Jack Leach and uh, having a, a pretty crocked uh, Mooran Ali uh, in the group, uh, reluctant too to be uh, playing test cricket, to be fair. Uh, and now if Lyon goes, that is a huge element. I mean, this, We're talking about a guy who's played 100 consecutive test matches here, 100 consecutive test matches. Uh, so um, he's there every day, his first pick and if they don't have him uh, what will Australia turn to there particularly in this test match they'll go to Travis Head who bowls a a little bit of spin uh, and of course to Steve Smith but they're not match winners with the ball neither of those two with the ball so uh, Kevin sums it up, if England get a lead here say 150 plus, it'll be an interesting finish, Stark Hazelwood would need to bowl a lot better Uh, they got pumped Uh, Stark uh, going for 8 and over and Hazelwood not many less they got absolutely pumped uh, so uh, they'll, they'll go after them they'll target them and they'll target the part time spinners so if Harry Brock is on 48 uh, he's the ace in the pack according to Kev if he gets uh, 100 uh, it's all on and in terms of uh, poor old Wurrimu uh, Wurrimu pin uh, poor guy when I saw that uh, that he still had a three claim I thought hey things must have changed but they obviously hadn't Wurrimu is riding well he will bounce back uh, he will bounce back and he's got three rides at Flemington uh, tomorrow uh, for us to keep an eye on uh, take a short break, when we come back it'll be uh, bulletin time with Aidan McLaughlin Brand are experts in
4: agriculture covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in
6: your field, summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk, what's fresh, what's making waves let's find out
1: uh, right, right, uh, let's get uh, to the Bulletin with uh, Aidan uh, McLaughlin. And uh, Aidan is uh, out of Hawke's Bay, of course, and uh, very vested interest in uh, all sport, but uh, particularly in the Ashes uh, going on at the moment. Aidan, good morning to you. Uh, what a turnaround last night. We were uh, actually having a beer, Aidan and I, last night, thinking about the fact that um, England needed to have a, a really good day. And, uh, mate, they duly obliged, didn't they?
2: Yeah, morning to you, Smithy. They certainly did. I think it's... Um well, what are we, two days into the second test now, and if, the, if there's going to be so many swings and roundabouts in this series for the rest of the time that the Ashes are on, it's going to keep us all on tender hooks. But, yeah, it was a real good comeback by, by England yesterday. I think day one, I think we'd all agree that that was probably the weakest uh, day in terms of their performance and, and even their attitude since Stokes and McCullum have been heading up that England uh, team. But they really came back well. You know, they, they ended up taking the last seven Australian wickets for 100 runs, um, and I think they would have been if, if you'd offered a, a total of 416 at the start of uh, the play yesterday, they would have taken that. And then they went on and they, they batted reasonably well. I think they, I think they should probably be a little bit disappointed, in fact, with the fact they lost four wickets in the end. Um, I think that uh, Pope, Duckett, and Root—they probably all got out playing shots that they didn't need to play. You know, I think that the the Australian bowlers in the end, when they didn't get any early success they, they probably played to those english egos a little bit and uh, gave them some short stuff and uh, those three in particular couldn't resist it
1: what did you make of uh, some of these bowling figures i mean mitchell stark absolutely he can be loose he can be a bit vulnerable but you pick him on the basis he bowls those magnificent deliveries every now and then and hazelwood who's never been collared to that effect but what about those bowling figures
2: well, it's interesting, before when we found out that Stark had been uh, picked prior to the start of play, um, before we even knew who was going to battle bowl first, someone actually said to me, Stark is either going to run through them or he's going to go for naught for 125. And it did seem to have that kind of feeling about it. But, yeah, he went for, I think, just over 6. Um, Hazelwood just under 6. It was really only Nathan Lyon, and I'm sure we'll get on to him in a minute, Nathan Lyon and mm. Cummins that actually kept the the innings from completely running away because... It's very unusual, as you say, for Hazelwood in particular to go for so many runs. Um, Even Green was very expensive off his seven overs. I think he was one for 43. So again, very expensive. Um, But yeah, and this is the problem with this, um, I guess, this England batting lineup. They can take the game away from you pretty quickly if they're allowed to. And yeah, they're not afraid of going after the big names, the big reputations. It doesn't matter to them.
1: Well, certainly Nathan Lyon has a reputation and they did treat him by their own high standards with a lot of caution. Up until he left the field uh, with it looks like a calf injury, 13 overs, 1 for 35. So clearly uh, McCullum and Stokes have said to their players, this guy, um, we treat him with with really uh, very, very carefully because he's the guy that can win it for them. Uh, So we don't go for 6 and over off Nathan Lyon, but we just don't get out to him. Uh, but now that looks like they might not have to worry at all. How much of a bearing could it have, not just on this Lord's Test match, but on the series? In your viewpoint,
2: I think it, I think it will have a huge bearing. I mean, I think uh, this is Lyon's hundredth game in a row, Test in a row mm-hmm. for Australia, which just goes to show number one that Australia uh, really, really value him as as an asset, whatever the conditions. This is not like, um, you know, we've come to be accustomed to with a New Zealand test lineup where at home they simply don't play a spinner. They will play Nathan Lyon, rain, shine, home, away. It doesn't matter to them. And, and he is a very successful off-spinner. He's, he's Australia's most uh, successful off-spinner in history. He's a, he's a great guy, um, a great player. Um, and now, I mean, you know, it was interesting. At the end of the day, Head came on to bowl. He bowled five overs. Smith even had a bit of a random over at the end but I was kind of thinking about it after play, and you know, if we, as expected, see that he's going to be ruled out for the entire series, what do Australia do? Do they, do they actually just bring back Scott Boland? You know, he was probably a little bit harshly dropped for this test. Do they suddenly think, okay, we'll go for an all seam attack, or do they, and they make do with some some overs from Head and Smith, or do they bring in a specialist from the squad? I really don't know what they're going to do. It might be a case by case basis depending on what sort of um, pitch they've got in front of them. But the big mm. picture, big blow for them with Lyon being out.
1: Yeah, I look, I, I think it'll change what uh, the strategy will be in terms of what England require from their ground staff. So they'll say, look, we don't order a pitch, we just uh, turn up and play on it. That is rubbish. Uh, they'll have had plenty of chats uh, to the various ground staff. And uh, if Nathan Lyon is not part of the Australian setup, Um, I would imagine we can go a little bit drier on the basis that uh, they haven't got a spinner that's going to roll us in in days three and four and five. Right, let's uh, also look at uh, other cricket as well and uh, concerning our White Ferns who have got a pretty strong side on a tour of uh, Sri Lanka who they had never lost to until the other night when they got thumped, absolutely thumped. What did you make of that? Um, And what are you looking forward to an improvement today?
2: Yeah, well, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It was rain-delayed. I think it ended up being a 29-over-side match. So it's that kind of that interesting length of game kind of in between um, your, your T20, which they play a lot of, and, of course, your, 30, your traditional 50-over, which which they're there for. Um, but I actually thought they posted a reasonable total. You know, they, they got over six and over in those 29-overs. And I thought at the halfway stage, they were probably quite well-positioned. It's always difficult, especially when you're... You haven't played somewhere before. It's difficult to go in bat first. You know, what's a good total? Um, So I actually thought they'd done all right. But then, of course, uh, the Sri Lankans showed it up to be um, not enough. Although, you know, the the Sri Lankans, they won by nine wickets, but um, there was only, I think, an over or so to spare um, in terms of the knocking off the runs. Um, But I guess it probably shows how important this sort of tour is that they get more experience in the likes of Sri Lanka because, the, you know, there's a number of global tournaments going to be in the subcontinent over the next few years. And I, I know that um, Ben Sawyer in particular is very conscious of that fact. He needs them to get used to those pitches, those conditions. Um, what do we want to see tonight? Well, hopefully we get a full game in and there's no brain interruptions, but I think they've just got to be pushing things a little bit more. You know, we, we've seen that... Um, the, the the runs that they got the other night wasn't enough, but more worryingly for me is that they only took one wicket. So really they've got to get these these spinners working. Did they add another spinner in? Do you know, does Lee does Casper come come in? It'll be the first game she's played in a long time. But now she's back in the squad. You would imagine that Sawyer and Divine will want to have a good look at her. So I mm. think really yeah we're just going to see more out of these spinners and maybe even an extra spinner.
1: Radio Warriors-Rabbitos uh, tonight, uh, game two of round 18 of the NRL. Warriors pretty heavy favourites at the TAB. No Latrell-Mitchell for the Rabbitohs How are you seeing this one, Aidan?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Warriors in fifth on the table and... Uh... The Bunnies down in eighth, But, you know, there's only two points separating them on on the table. And I think that is the great thing about this NRL. I think between first and ninth, there's only four points separating all the teams. Even if you go a bit deeper down to 12, there's only six points separating all those teams. So, um, based on form, uh, Warriors three straight wins. Bunnies conceding a lot of points recently. As you say, Luttrell Mitchell out. Um, I think at, ho- at home the, the Warriors are justifiably strong favourites and I, I do think they will go and win and I think they'll win pretty candidly as well. I just think um, the fan the, the mojo the last three weeks, they really have. Not that they were playing badly before, but they just had a few little setbacks um, uh, results-wise. But I think I think things are looking really good and I think they've got a really good chance to go on a good run here and not only cement a top eight place but really cement a top four place i think i think it's there for the taking for them this year
1: yeah i think we've gone past the point now of um credibility in terms of their season uh i think we've gone past the the despair stage as well i I think they've earned the right now to uh to be a uh, a highly anticipated event actually the warriors to be fair um and that's the way i'm looking at their performance and it's taken them a half a season so what webster's done along with his uh his staff and uh how uh, McFadden and co have uh, recruited etc it has been a standout to the point where the tab have already acknowledged to the tune of four hundred thousand dollars that they're going to make the eight they've paid out on it this far out 10 rounds to go (laughs)
2: yeah it's it's the sort of thing i've heard from uh, some overseas bookmakers in the past You know in terms of, you know, if a football team over in England or something have got a big lead that the, the, the bookies will pay out, you know, the likes of petty Parr and what have you. And it's obviously a really good marketing tool for those, those bookies as well. But really interesting that the TAB are willing to do so. Uh, I mean, well, you know, barring an absolute disaster in terms of a drop-off of form or suspensions and injuries, etc., etc., you have to say it's looking pretty locked in because they are just playing with good belief, um, just 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 real confidence at the moment, and, and good quality as well. And um, So, I, I, you know, I can understand why the TAB have done it to some extent, and it's a nice little bit of publicity for them as well, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and they know they'll get it back. The bulk of people will re- reinvest <laughs> anyway, which is always a smart move. Uh, and just finally, um, the uh, football fans are announced in, uh, what, uh, about an hour and a half, or not even that long in, just under an hour's time, uh, so a really uh, important uh, day on the calendar for all of those uh, young ladies who are going to take part in the World Cup. Um, the uh, football fans do actually play in Napier, but not in the World Cup itself, I think they play Vietnam here at McLean Park, so uh, would you be going? Are you showing a lot of interest in this?
2: So, um, that's yeah, that's a week on Monday and that's a five o'clock check-off at McLean Park, I'm actually away, um, <laughs> and typically I've made plans to be away on holiday before that fixture was announced, so... I think we get back uh, probably about 8 o'clock that night, so I will miss the game uh, typically. Um, but listen, I mean, there's, there's a good buzz, uh, certainly for what I can tell in the local, local community about that game being here. I know that uh, junior football clubs in particular are, are buying a lot of tickets. And I think, like all these things, there'll be, there'll be a decent um, late flurry of ticket sales uh, especially with being school holidays and a good kickoff time. Um, mm. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of overall interest, yeah, I, I'm just really ready for this World Cup to get going now. You know, we, we've talked a lot about the football ferns' um, issues, you know, the, the lack of ability to score, but they've been in a nine-week training camp now. And, you know, once this wider squad of 33 gets whittled down to 23 today, it's really, it's time to get on with it, you know. I think they're going to have a little break before they reconvene for the Napier game. And then it's into it, you know, and it's going to be a tough, tough proposition. Norway, the Philippines, Switzerland. Um, but I just, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to getting on with it now. Hopefully, good crowd for the Vietnam match. Hopefully a win. And it builds up a little bit more momentum, not only for the team, the squad, but also the, the, the following public.
1: Aidan McLaughlin, thank you so much uh, for your time uh, this morning and uh, summing up uh, events over the last couple of days and uh, what's about to unfold over the weekend. It is 10:53 uh, here on SENZ. Right, let's get cr- uh, straight across to Pip Morris uh, on behalf of the TAB. Pip, uh, what are the odds on available today? Good
0: morning, Smithy. Well, I can tell you for the is England taking the most money in the series-winning market there at 3:35. So if you're wanting to play that nice odds there. 1.6 was put on the Warriors, 13 or more to win tonight at $3.50. Another 1.5K put on them at $1.68. And a 1,000 on the South at $2.35. So just on the Women's FIFA World Cup quickly too, 70% of the turnover for the outright winner is on USA. And if you bet any team to win $20 or more,
7: will give you $10 bonuses every time they win in a match throughout the series. So really nice incentive there for the TAB.
1: Good on Pip. Thank you very much. A bit rushed today, but thanks for that information. Very valuable indeed. Uh, coming up to 11 o'clock, uh, league after the break uh, with Sammy Ackerman. Um, what we're looking and expecting from NRL round 18. We've already seen the Sharks give the Dragons a real lesson. 52 to 16. And, of course, it's the Warriors and the Rabbitohs first up tonight. Uh, and then the Storm and the Panthers. A couple of intriguing clashes for us to talk to Sam Ackerman with very shortly. Not sure it's been the lucky omen, but uh, really it's been a terrific season for the Warriors. And it uh, will continue tonight uh, against uh, the Bunnies. Uh, and a crowd that was sold out, yes believe it or not, last Sunday. Sellout sign went up five days in advance for just a round robin match, uh, round 18, which just started last night with the Sharks piling on more misery to the hapless dragons who look in a complete mess. Uh, and uh, here to talk uh, the greatest game of all, we're calling it at the moment, is a man who's learned to catch a highball from Kevin Locke, uh, a rugby league friend and one of our favourite analysts, of course, Sammy Ackerman. Didn't know that. Sam, good morning to you.
8: Yeah, it's, uh, it was uh, a highball uh, lesson. For, uh, Kevin Locke gave me some tips. Uh, Sean Johnson put it up and he made sure there was ice on it. Um, and just a threat or a few... Uh, a couple hundred kg hooves um, coming down the line um, to put the head on as well. So, yeah, I I say I learned to catch the high ball, would insinuate that I did. So I, I don't want to oversell it. But, you know, listen, I, all, all I know is that uh, when it comes to rugby league, there's those who can and they do and those who can't judge those who can do ruthlessly.
1: <laughs> and I think you're going to put yourself in the ladder bracket But I'm just guessing here I'm just <laughs> guessing uh, What about uh, the judgement of uh, the Sharks performance last night Now my son reminds me I'm a shark, bit of a Sharks fan uh, I've got a vested interest in them this year He says but you don't beat anyone good You don't beat anyone who really uh, performs in the top 8 uh, 52-16 over the Dragons last night
8: yeah, and look, uh, obviously we saw the uh, the Warriors run up a pretty big score on the Dragons the week before, uh, and they are in a world of pain. And you mentioned, you know, that soft spot, but the Dragons are my uh, little brother's team. So, I, you know, I don't want to say a joy sitting and but if any team's going to get pumped, I, I do like to see the Dragons. They are a team that has had a potential, but they just have never been able to get it. Together, I mean, they've got good enough players on uh, within the, their ranks to be able to make a difference. It's not, it's not a uh, happening thing from now. It's, they're not going to get it together this season. There's no. No hope for what they're doing. Uh, the Ben Hunt saga is definitely sapping all those around them. But look, the, the Sharks can only play what's in front of them in that, in that regard. And yep, Nico Hines looks great when he's taking on guys who uh, who aren't necessarily uh, world beaters. But it's such an even comp right now. It's about building up your wins and getting yourself into a decent spot. That's what the Sharks are doing. It, it, they aren't. They are ticking the boxes they need because the Sharks are a finals football side. They've proven themselves to be uh, historically tough when it comes to those kind of games. So, uh, Smithy, I, I've seen enough from what I'm seeing from the uh, Sharks so far to know that when push comes to shove, they'll be ready to push.
1: OK, let's hope so, um, from my point of view anyway. Talking about push come to shove, uh, Warriors pretty warm favourites tonight against the, the Rabbitohs. Uh, in fact, uh, backed off the charts, really. Uh, and in front of a, a, a sellout out uh, crowd which I, I mentioned before, uh, sold out like five days ago?
8: Yeah, listen. I've been um, at all home games this this season, and the sold out signs gone up on at least two or three occasions. I haven't uh, kept tabs um, specifically, but the fact of the matter is, the Warriors are the hottest ticket in town when it comes to sports right now. Because you know you're getting something, and there's some. You don't even have to be a hardcore league fan. And I'm finding a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon who, who haven't even really followed the code closely before because there's so much fun to watch right now. They're an energetic side. You don't have to understand the ins and outs when you see what, you know, Dallin's doing on the wing to see the moves Sean's pulling off or the the power game of uh, Fenua Blake but they are just a joy to watch there's something special about the squad this season uh, and that's league fans notorious and sports fans in general in this country notorious for rocking up late there was no need for this game to sell out it did Five days, early, as you mentioned, it is a, a sign of of where people's heads at and what this team's capable of. Just to put it in context, Warriors selling out regular season games prior to this year, you'd be at a count on one hand essentially. It's besides it, it like you know the big openers or the end of se- or the last game of the season with something riding on it. Middle of the middle of the the pack kind of games, around eighteen, around sixteen. It's, it's beyond a rarity. So uh, it's a huge event and hopefully they can deliver uh, on the big occasion. They've proven that they've been capable of stepping up so far. The, the weather's not playing ball in Auckland at the moment. Uh, raining um, on and off and it's kind of cold and dreary, but we should point out that if one team's going to be um, better than, that, well, the, than the others it's the Warriors. They do train and play in this on a regular basis. Uh, how it affects their expensive plans, I do not know and um, I'm a bit concerned that if uh, DWZ goes for one of his dives, he might end up in a different postcode by the time he's skidded on his way through. But it, it, it's got the... Uh, shaping is a game that is... Not crucial, but a real litmus test because this Rabbit Side aren't in the best shape, but they are desperate. They really want to get their season back online, uh, and this is a, a huge game for them. So they'll they'll be rested. They'll be coming with a uh, with the attitude of being willing to perform. And I'm, I I really looking forward to seeing what the Warriors can produce.
1: Well, they don't come with Latrell Mitchell though, uh, and that is a big hiccup no. from their point of view. Where are their dangers?
8: Campbell Graham is the man I will have most of my eyes on. I love Cody Walker in the halves. Uh, he's capable of, of doing uh, anything, and at his best this season, he was being called for to uh, wear the Origin jersey. But Campbell Graham should be playing uh, in the centres for Origin. Uh, Many thought he should have been early, but um, injuries held him up previously. You imagine. The way things are shaping with that squad, he's got to be a, a great shout to um, to get a run with Trebuňevich out. And, and did unless they want to pick a, a hooker from somewhere to go play there. Smithy, apparently that's always the plan for the Blues. Uh, but I am <laughs> a, uh, a I, I, I like the uh, the well-roundedness of their pack. Cameron Murray, if you haven't seen him play live, uh, is a, a tackle machine. He's in everything. He's not an overwhelming presence on a field, but he's a constant presence. And those kind of players are, are really difficult to um, to get past. Any break that you want, the Warriors will make to the middle it's going to have to go past Karen um, Murray and that's not an easy feat so there is uh, there's a lot to like about what the rabbits can produce but certainly you know, if momentum is is important that's irresistible for the Warriors right now with what their uh, their four packs capable of I am I wouldn't say concerned but I'm, I'm certainly intrigued um, by the uh, by the bench for the for the Warriors it's got uh, Bailey Sutherland uh, on it with Freddie Lussick as well, Dylan Walker and Tom Arley. So it's not not a great deal of size, but a lot of speed and versatility um, through there. So I mean look, Bailey Surinan's, you yeah, know, he's not short exactly, but he's not a he's not a big bopper. So uh, the the big men on the field will be expected to do a fair bit of damage uh, and imagine play some potentially extended minutes um, if they require a size battle.
1: Uh, the Warriors. Um, you know, probably at the stage you'd love to be in terms of uh, fitness, etc., availability, going into a playoff situation. So long may that continue, because we're looking now at continuity and selection all of a sudden as well.
8: yeah absolutely. And um, but the the thing is as well, Smitty, is that depth. I've been able to play three or four players um, alongside. Uh, Sean Johnson and the halves, and none have been terrible. It hasn't been a case of hook them, let's get rid of them. I mean, you know, there's obviously a pecking order, but you know, the way Metcalf's going, uh, it, it's almost hard to say how he put Mario Martin back in when he's available because he's, he's that. That's how strong those um, those scenarios are for them. I, I really like what they've got to work with uh, and what they've found out about the depth of their squad as well. And I basically they haven't been lacking anywhere i'd say there's four or five players that are in a real purple patch of form right now but no one is letting the side down no one is dragging the chain to the point of they are a major weakness within the squad and there's a little a little bit of depth scoring they've managed to give uh through various reasons they need to cycle through um center options uh and they've all gone in there and They've gone okay, you know, it have gone good, no matter whether they're experienced or not. So, I mean, I thought Braden Williamie would be a, um, a lock for a starting spot for this team this year. But after his injury, he hasn't been able to work his way back. And that says a lot about uh, what the Warriors have got to play with and We just talked about you know, the bench and, uh, and the centres and the halves. Those are protected, long-time problem areas for the Warriors. And right now, they're, they're sailing.
1: Right, let's uh, look at uh, other matches too over the weekend, including a real barn uh, stormer tonight. And that is, of course, uh, the Storm and the Panthers. Basically, um, you know, we expect these guys to be pretty close to the top. But uh, both sitting first equal at this point, uh, slight points differences. Uh, what are you uh, what are you thinking here?
8: It's a beauty of a round. It's a really good round. Um, so the, I... I um, I, I like the Storm because I thought, sorry, pardon me, the Panthers against the Storm because I, I love the way that the Panthers performed without their origin players and they all come back um, as their available players like the, the Luais and the like. There's a lot to read into this. Like, months to visit Luais, we could be extraordinary to watch after uh, the origin period and temperament and seeing how Eye um, reacts without, obviously, doesn't his partner in crime and, and Nathan Cleary, but there's, there's so much for these guys to play for as far as their origin. Uh, spot scale as well. So I, I, I like the Panthers, the way they're tracking. I think they're a, a team that just seems to be capable, whereas the Storm the Storm can, can torch anyone. But they also have shown more of a tendency to, to let opportunities slip this year than the, the Panthers have. So I, I, I like Penrith, but, I, you know, Jesus, a strike match between them. And it will be a, a beauty. I'll be making sure I'll be right into that after uh, the, the Warriors game, that's for sure. It, it, it's got a... Uh, a more on the line than a one versus four does normally but essentially top of the you'll be top of the table you win this game what they're able to achieve mm. from it will be very interesting to tell
1: uh interesting game uh it's not so much in terms of the result i think the result's quite predictable but i want to see the scoreline uh with the broncos host hosting the dolphins uh earlier uh, in the season when the dolphins were hot at the start of the season uh the broncos triumphed over the 18-12 i think it was their first loss to the dolphins but uh, th- this is a different uh, Broncos side, but it's an entirely different Dolphins team all of a sudden for the wrong reasons, it seems. Yeah,
8: yeah absolutely. Look, it's been played at the Gabba as well, so it's a big occasion. Um, but you've got to remember with these clean, Queensland clubs, when they're brought into the, um, into the derby matches, they seem to grow an extra leg. Like The, the Cowboys um, you know, changing their fortunes is, uh, is largely thanks to um, contests against teams like the Broncos have lifted them up along those ways, so I, I, I expect that um, the I don't know about an ambush, but I'm definitely expecting um, a bigger, stronger move from the uh, from the Dolphins than you might pick. And I don't the wheels haven't fallen off the Broncos, but they're not they're not hitting home runs right now. I mean, the performance against the Titans was poor. They've been distracted all week by the um, Reese walsh saga, so it's a um, uh, for a team's thing where they are, the, the Bronx should be able to put put the, put the Dolphins away. I, I don't know. I've got a sneaky feeling that, that there's something starting to get a bit wobbly with the Bronx right now.
1: Reese Walsh is an interesting uh, scenario for me. Here's the guy who the Warriors bailed out. We know that. Um, then he decided that he didn't want to be in this part of the world. OK, fine. They let him go. And he finds a happy home, it seems, at the, at, uh, the Broncos. But then we, we get him to... A high-profile situation and um, state of origin rugby league, and he's just—it's turning into be a, a, a bit of a problem child. I think those are the other two words I've written next to him. What about this? And now he's earned himself what three weeks off, uh, which is not a good thing uh, for any any young player going forward.
8: Well, he's also put the biggest target on his back, you can imagine. You, it, your game plan when you play the Broncos now is to get under Walsh's skin. Right? There's, there's the concept of putting pressure up, absolutely. But then there's the, get, there's the literally niggling and getting under his um, skin because it, it'll work. He doesn't have the temperament. I mean, look, he's a young man, young in his career. His skill level is phenomenal. But at the start of this year, Smithy, we talked about it, and I said that the Warriors will be a better side with Chance Nicol Kluckstad back there than Reese Walsh. It's not that Walsh is a bad player, not at all. His skills are phenomenal. But as far as involvement in the team and what he brings outside of just those skills, there are, you know, there's, there's gaps still in his in his career. And he will, you know, I've got no doubt he's in for a long, successful one, but he, someone needs to start to work with him on his temperament because it's, he's gonna cost his team, he did cost his team uh, in that game against the Titans, but in big, in big occasions, um, if, if the team wasn't as as terrible as the current New South Wales mob have been putting out, you know they they'd be able to get, needle them and, and make things work. So i so I found it interesting as as well with that, Smitty. You take a look at what that was the um the the way that the those two players sat down and they chatted it and they got their line their line of answers Carrigan and and to feed it. If It was a court of law, and I'm not suggesting my second the judiciary is. Uh, then they'll, they'll be done for corroboration. Basically, the judgment says that they that they think that they're lying, which means all three are lying. And they got. We, mm. I think they need to start throwing in punishments, fine systems. If you're deemed to have um, come and lied in front of the judiciary just to save a mate, it's a it's a system that that needs a little bit of tweaking on that front for me. But on the Reese Walsh front, don't worry, he's going to be fine. But he's going to be a tight target. He's going to be an absolute target, and um, he needs to. Remember, that talent is, is, is one thing, but doesn't give you the God-given right to chirp. I mean, you've got to be able to give it and take it. Little I can give and take it, right? He's a... He's a he's, you know, people call him a grub, but he's a, at the very least, he's, a, uh, he's, he's, he's chirpy. But he also knows that giving it, it back is part of the game.
1: Well, uh, the other thing, of course, is when you're a 22-year-old kid just making your way in the game, and he still is, to be fair, uh, you don't want the whole refereeing world to be against you either.
8: No, no, not handy. Not handy at all. But yeah, let's hope he learns. But I, I hope everybody else learns as well. I mean, how, how much time have we had to talk about abusive referees this week? It's it's time mm. to start pulling things back. A little, a little bit of home for yeah. advantage of like, he off, he's been offside ref. That's one thing, right? But, you know, accusing of cheating and abusing, I think we're all better than that in, in 2023, surely?
1: Yeah, I think we are. Okay, let's uh, turn our attention to uh, the last game of the round, which is the Sea Eagles against the Roosters. God knows what's going on at the Roosters. They're both sitting outside the eight at the moment. In fact, uh, the Sea Eagles, uh, three points out of the eight. uh, They've signed uh, Luke Brooks from Wests. Uh, Where does that that leave the long-term future of Daily Cherry Evans, you feel? Oh, I think
8: the plan is, well, I don't think Daly's got uh, more than a couple of seasons left of him anyway. I think the plan would be for those two to work together in a half, so you'll see Josh Huster, um pretty lose his spot as the most likely option for the, uh, for the, um, the immediate term. But uh, these two teams are really evenly placed, and they are regularly, but they're usually quite evenly placed much higher on the ladder. Uh, Smithy when they meet each other. So uh, you're you're right to target it. I think it's a really intriguing one. with uh, both sides running uh, hot and cold, and probably far more cold than than hot of late. So um, I I think that the uh, the seagulls have got um, more room to to grow than the roosters right now. They just the, the roosters just feel downtrodden, where the seagulls feel uh, like they're just out of out of Touch off off the bounce slightly, so I probably like Manly uh, for this one, but it's again it's a great round with a whole bunch of games that you can't predict.
1: Raiders uh, sit inside at the moment. Uh, <clears throat> the Raiders got the Titans. What do you feel about that?
2: Yeah,
8: uh, Titans did really well last week, but this will be the, this will be the Raiders. Surely they are a um, a team that is is pretty good at putting away the teams that are in a um, a, a similar situation the Titans are, I, I think that they've got the game plan and the game style to make it a lot harder for the Titans than the Broncos did last week. So I like the, I like the way the Green Machine is tracking.
1: OK, well, good on you, Sam. Uh, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for previewing the round. Can't wait for tonight, uh, 8 o'clock, uh, there at uh, Go Media Mount Smart Stadium. And then the one that follows that, it's a really good night of rugby league. Cheers, man. Thanks for summing Absolutely. it up. Uh, Cheers, enjoy Sam. what you see over the weekend. Cheers, uh, Sam McEwan there. Fantastic uh, to uh, to talk to Sam uh, every week at some point about uh, his great passion there. Uh, rugby league absolutely loves it. Knows uh, so much about it. It's just uh, wonderful. It's uh, like talking to the Oracle, I think it's fair to say. Uh, and very confident tonight uh, about uh, the Warriors. And uh, yes, so looking forward to that uh, that other one, the Storm and the Panthers. Match of the round for me, I think, uh, taking my Warriors patch off. It's 11.21 here on SENZ. Right, it's uh, 11.26 here on SENZ, and uh, John from Auckland has called through. Always love your calls. John, uh, what's on your mind this morning?
9: Hey, I just found out that um, you can't actually buy any NRL gear in New Zealand, only Warriors gear, uh, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, but where, the Warriors are doing get, well at where, the moment.
1: Where would you find that out? What, what What's the reason why that well, is? You can't buy a South Jersey yeah. or anything else?
9: No, apparently we don't have the licensing over here, um, well, we've been to rebel sports and sterling sports i mean that nothing just warriors maybe little knickknacks of other teams but um it's changed i'm not too sure what's happening there mate so anyone that supports other teams you're gonna have to buy online
1: okay right we'll, we'll try and get to the bottom of that because uh, the way <laughs> rugby league is uh, being viewed at the moment uh, you would think they're missing out on some serious opportunities uh john but yeah warriors yeah. Uh, warriors tonight uh, a big chance for you
9: yeah, I'm very excited, mate. Very excited. I think this is an opportunity for the Warriors to showcase why they are um, top four material. I think I think Smitty, um it's a big call, but I think they'll finish third overall in the season if they play the way they've been playing. Stalfs, no Latrell Mitchell. Um, they've still got Cody Walker. They've still got a few Origin players there in terms of <clears throat> Players that are on form, they don't have many. Um, but I, would, I wouldn't count them out, mate. The Warriors haven't beaten the South Sydney Rabbitohs in a while, so I wouldn't count them out of this game. But like you said, the match of the round is the game, the Channel Nine game, the prime time game, oh. uh, Panthers versus the Storm. I think the Storm are going to get up there. And just to let all your uh, listeners know that the Warriors are playing live on TV3, TV3 live.
1: Wow. I did not realise that you're a wealth of uh, a wealth of information this morning. Um, also, the under-20s uh, lost uh, uh, to France, uh, and uh, France beat them quite convincingly.
9: Oh, yeah, mate. I was just, you know, speaking to Daggy and the team this morning. I'm really disappointed. Um, I, I understand we haven't played these these teams overseas for a number of years, but it's it's really really telling. I mean, the size of our Ford pack, we were just dwarfed. And we were just dominated, you know. I've never seen a New Zealand team so dominated and so defeated. And it's really, really um, upsetting because I know we have the talent here. We all know we have the talent here. But, you know, we could see this team, I think, will probably finish around 7th or 8th. Can you believe that, Smithy? Only out of 12 teams.
1: I don't believe that because we've got such a rich history. A rich history in it, um, to be perfectly honest. So, John, that's very concerning to me. And before you go... Uh, Sean has come in and said, Safari Sports wasn't Hamilton and Ngarao, Hawaii, but they may have closed due to the Ram raids. Um, (laughs) Wow, fancy that. Um, And you can buy all your NRL jerseys through playersports.co.nz. It's from from Troy. Um, And uh, Alvin has come in and said uh, Players Sports as well. So So there you go. Uh, There are opportunities there, but more so online, John. So... Thanks very much for those guys uh, texting in. John, have a terrific weekend. Enjoy the Warriors tonight, eh? John has gone. Yeah, cool. Um, Right, um, what is the song? Uh, Brian, Steve says, what is the song you just played, please?
5: I think he's probably talking about Ukaipo by Luke Whanga, the Warriors um, song this year.
1: Mm, I think you're right, actually. Uh, And it is terrific. And it's very, very catchy. Uh, Jeremy has come in and said Hey Smithy, the Warriors have had a great run on home uh, Games are going Those $10 tickets for 24 hours Are hitting the right spot with spectators Maybe Super Rugby teams should have looked at Options during the seasons Yes, uh, I think uh, you're absolutely right there Uh, Do we have time Just uh, for a, a minute or two On the sports desk I think we'd better pop across, Brian
3: Turn up the volume,
6: we're crossing live to the Sports Desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out.
5: Yeah, so I've got a couple here for you, Smithy, but um, I think I'm going to start with my B story, just in case we run out of time here. Um, A documentary came out uh, last night, it debuted on Rialto, and it was called The Million Dollar Pigeon. It's a documentary about the cutthroat world of pigeon racing. Um, now, most of you, most of us, probably don't realize that it's, it's a lot more popular than most of us think, and it's been around much longer than most of us have been alive. And um, some of the, I just want to highlight some of the famous names that you may recognize who, who are into the world of pigeons, looking after them and, and racing them, including Nikolai Tesla. Pablo Picasso, Walt Disney, here's a name you might recognise, Elizabeth Windsor, and one of the scariest wow. men to walk the face of the earth, I and Mike Tyson, who actually got in his first street fight over someone disrespecting his birds and his love for them. Uh, personally, I consider them rodents of the sky, but Smithy, you ever attended a, or even called a pigeon race?
1: I have not commentated it, Brian, but I have been in a syndicate owning two pigeons. Can you believe that? Right? Okay, so one of the names you left out there was one, William Morris Laurie, Bill Laurie, a famous Australian cricketer. Absolute pigeon uh, fanatic. uh, Has them in his backyard. uh, Decided to put together a racing syndicate. We bought two uh, to go from uh, racing from South Africa um, and uh, we didn't have a finisher. Um, But uh, they were taken by hawks, apparently, and that, that's what happens. Uh, Bill Laurie hates hawks. Hates hawks because they, they take his pigeons. So it didn't cost us a lot, but we, in, we entered into the pigeon race, uh, a lot of the Channel 9 commentary team at the time, and we missed the boat. They didn't get a divvy, but it was a million-dollar race, Brian. A million-dollar pigeon race. So that's why some of those notable people are in it, and it's, um, it's an intriguing thing not really a spectator sport because they all look the same and you don't know until your one (laughs) gets back to its roost exactly how it's finished but ours didn't get back to the roost that was a problem there Mm. no No success there but that's very interesting very very interesting okay cool uh we've we've got an obligation here which we've been promising people about in fact uh mike's just come in and said team rhapsody and silverdale have other teams gear there you go john uh thanks very much for that mike it's uh outstanding piece of information uh, right let's uh, get into this shall we it is uh, time to stump smithy 250 bucks 250 bucks up for grabs this morning uh so get on the line um joey has done not, not much this morning but he is waiting for your calls and uh, brian will be the quiz master this morning as well got to go surely it's got to go today to some uh, lucky punter and uh, we'll have the news from araha in the meantime we will talk to you shortly
2: Ian Smith's had a good match here Stamped by Smithy Ian Smith really is top class at his job
1: Rightio, here we go Uh, Massive prize up uh, here And uh, we'd really like to Give it away to somebody Um, And uh, this morning, first up uh, Brian, I noticed the lines were very, very busy As you would expect uh, who's got through first of all this
5: morning? First of all is uh one of our favourites, well mine at least, uh Carrie from the Manawatu, which I think is he actually is in bulls, is that right, Carrie? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. How are you? Yeah, no great, thanks, mate. how are you doing?
10: Yeah, good, bit wet today, but um gives
8: takes a bit of pressure off the east coast, so uh, we can take a little bit of rain. It so
1: is oh, how- is is Ohakea still uh, fully operating, Gary?
10: Full steam ahead, mate. Uh, just putting
1: a big new roundabout in there
10: on State Highway 1,
9: which is uh, holding up
10: traffic a bit,
2: but it's, yeah, it's all go, Ohaakea still.
1: Oh, good on you. Okay, fantastic. Loved uh, driving past here as a kid. You know, we used to live in Whanganui and... Uh, Every now and then you'll be lucky enough to see, um, you know, one of those fighter jets take off and uh, it was absolutely special. But anyway, right, uh, I digress because uh, we're in this very serious business this morning of uh, trying to give away uh, 250 bucks. You're going to have to be good, uh, Kerry. So, Brian, what are the subjects for Kerry this morning?
5: Subjects today, Kerry, are golf, baseball and basketball. What would you like?
1: Oh,
10: crikey. Oh, my God, baseball. Not that
9: I know much about it,
5: but we'll go baseball. You trying to do that whole? Uh, you're hoping Smithy doesn't know anything, eh? Beware he puts he puts uh, baseball in his Maltese, so I'm pretty sure he does follow it. All right,
7: a
1: little, a little, a little bit. I'm not a stats man on it though, and I'm not too good on who's in what conference or who's in what league, so uh, we'll just wait and see.
5: Okay, okay, here we go. First question: Kauri from the Manawatu. Two teams are tied for first place overall on the MLB ladder, including all teams. Who shares top spot with the Tampa Bay Rays? Um, Tampa Bay, I'll go uh, Minnesota. One of the
10: worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
5: (laughs) Through to the keeper. Baltimore
1: Orioles, Baltimore Orioles, no. One of the worst things I have ever seen
5: done on a cricket field no it isn't uh they're definitely at the top but the answer is the Atlanta Braves
1: Atlanta
5: Braves okay standing right at the top there with the uh with 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 the Tampa Bay Rays who I think have been there since day bloody dot of the competition anyway okay question number two (laughs) which of the two leagues American or national do the Atlanta Braves play in
10: Uh they, uh go okay, America
9: One of the worst things
10: <laughs> you just, I have ever seen done on a There's only game.
5: one other choice.
1: Sorry Kerry, I've got to take National League. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, Right in the slot. Under and Billy
5: Bowden extends his crooked finger. See you later, thanks Come for playing mate, appreciate it.
1: 50% chance there Kerry, hard luck, uh, so who's next in line? Who's, who's got last crack at this 250 bucks?
5: Well, he's another one of our favourites. He's a coasty, much like myself, living in the big city, much like myself. It is uh, Ed from Tolaga Bay, come in Ed. Oh
3: is it? Oh I got the shot at it.
5: You do? Hi Smitty.
1: Uh, you know, uh, they don't play a lot of baseball in Tolliga Bay from memory, so this might be a bit tough for you. Yeah, I know. I was, oh, oh, I played softball. Bit of t-ball. Oh, okay. Bit of ball
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
5: Anyway, Ed, there is one question left to win the 250 oh. bonus bets from the TAB, and that question is... Japanese superstar, Showtime Shohei Otani. Leads the MLB for home runs this season with 28. What team does the future GOAT play for?
1: I'm going to have a guess, bro. It's
10: the Braves. One of the worst things
5: I have ever seen
10: done on a cricket fair. Now, just
5: let me set a bit of a scene here, because this all rides on Smithy's question, answer here. If he, if he knocks you out, he's taking the 250.
1: Good on you, Smitty. I, I might take the 250, or we'll have to give it away on... We'll have the 250 on Monday, but I, I, I'm not confident about this. But I've got a sneaking suspicion um, that he might be playing for the Los Angeles Angels. Just a couple of chips, down the yes. right oh. in the slot. Yes! Oh. Got doors. him! Right. Absolutely. Right I knew, he was, I, knew he was, I knew he was in L.A. because of uh, the Hollywood factor and the, the Japanese, of course, lapping le- onto that. They're huge into their baseball. So, uh, yes, uh, he is a superstar. It's, uh, he's usurping Mike Trout, actually, and Mike Trout was the, uh, the leading uh, batter. Uh, but this, uh, this kid, you're right. He's on the way to being a, a goat. Oh, God, all the drama there. Uh, we couldn't give it away. <laughs> I couldn't get it that way all week. So Brian, I guess that means I guess that means we do have to put it up for grabs um, because it's still there on Monday morning. Does that sound okay to you?
5: That sounds, yeah, that, no, that, that sounds great to me. And and how about you? Five in a row this week, mate. Um you haven't been nailing your multis though, and I've noticed it's one or the other for you. Either you're nailing I your multis and not getting stumped, or you're getting stumped and I'm missing the multis.
1: I'm pretty confident about this multi this weekend. it uh, is the Warriors into the Raiders, into the Broncos, minus 9.5. I'm pretty confident about that. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for having a crack this week, but uh, please uh, come back on Monday morning, and uh, it'll still be sitting there. I won't touch it, I promise you, over the weekend. It's 11.41, but on the racing subject, and the betting subject, uh, we're going to catch up with uh, some harness racing news coming up very shortly, as we always do at this time on a Friday. It is 11.47 here on SENZ and uh, as always uh, harness racing is uh, top of the bill at this hour for us because it's a busy weekend and one uh, gentleman who will be very busy calling uh, races out of Addington uh, tonight certainly and uh, I would imagine Sunday as well is Matt Cross. Matt good morning to you.
10: G'day, Smithy. G'day to your listeners as well. I uh, hear Louie's having a day off, moving into a new house, so uh, hopefully he doesn't get too comfortable in there and uh, can make his way onto the mail run tomorrow, but stunning day here in Christchurch today, Smithy, as we look forward to the Addington harness tonight, and as you say, through to Sunday. and We've got some Kiwis in Australia as well over the weekend. It's mm. a big carnival in Queensland at the moment. We look forward to seeing hot to trot race tonight. He's from the Mark Jones stable, and then tomorrow, the Southerners with the grey ghost, they call him Smoke and Banda, who did things wrong last Time in his first run over there, he's having A run around in one of the trotting heats there Tomorrow night, so plenty happening across both Sides of the Tasman, Smithy I guess It's a little bit of a quieter time for us Here in New Zealand, most of the Good horses are only kind of building back up With a view to being ready during sort of October and November for the bigger races But as always there's a winner to be found In every race and I reckon we can Find you a couple tonight
1: Okay uh... There's also racing at Winton this afternoon, is that correct? Yeah, there is, Smithy, And they've got
10: a $30,000 guaranteed late quaddy there this afternoon as well. So prior to Addington, you can get your numbers together for that late quaddy. $30,000 isn't too bad for a Friday afternoon. It looks a pretty tricky quaddie. I always find it hard to try and stand one out down there at uh, Winton. But more often than not, if you follow the good drivers, you like Nathan Williamson, Brent Barclay, Blair Orange obviously not down there today but when he is you, you're generally not too far away but tab.co.nz, you'll find that $30,000 late quaddie so might pay a bit over as to what it normally does.
1: Well you'll get the binoculars going around about 5.22 tonight, that's the first at Addington so what can you recommend for us Matt for a, a you know a struggler from you know, Struggle Street like I am?
10: <laughs> okay Smithy well I, I've got one for the multi anchors, I've got one for a bit of a a heavier each-way play and then one for just a lighter each-way play. Your, your multi-anchor tonight is a horse that you'll know well, Smithy. I think that Livy and I spoke with you a couple of weeks ago about this horse, Franco Sinatra. You guys mm. took uh, $2 around him last time. Now, he lobs into a race today as a rating 65, and the next highest-rated horse I think is about seven points lower than him. Small field, 2,600. He's a really promising horse. Now, he's a dollar forty-five, Smithy, but if you've got a couple of sports games over the weekend at about the same price, and you're looking for maybe two bucks for your money, then fire him in, because I think he'll win. He's in race six, number seven. If you want to have a bit of a heavier each way, in race number one tonight, it's a maiden trot. Now, very seldom would I tip you one in a maiden trot, Smithy, because of just dead-set head scratches. But a horse who's shown enough in two runs is Brett's mate, number seven in the first on the program. Now, he's at $6. I reckon he can win that, and you might be able to build a little bit of a bank with him in race one, and then we'll save the best ruffie of the night until the last, Race number 10, number 5, Treacherous Miss. This one for Robbie Close and Regan Todd. They've got some really strong chances in tonight. She galloped at the 600 last time, but it wasn't her fault. But her maiden win was really promising, and I think there'll be a bit of pressure in that race, so it can really bring her into play. And she's currently at $12 on tab.co.nz. I think she'll shorten Smithy, so it's one of those ones that if you're going to back her, don't wait until the last race tonight, because if... Robbie and Regan have a good evening, then the punters generally follow suit with the runners later on, so take that $12 now and and you'll have something to cheer for across the evening
1: And uh, you're on deck tomorrow morning, Uh, first thing with Louis as you say
10: Yeah, we'll be there. We'll be talking a bit of rubbish, Smithy. We'll be trying to find a winner or two. It's a really, really hard time of year for the thoroughbreds, obviously, with the the tracks and all of the variables that come with winter racing. But we'll talk a bit of rubbish, as I said. We'll try and find a winner or two and and chat to some of the the key industry players there tomorrow on the mail run. I've actually been enjoying uh, filling the seat in for Michael Guerin while he's been over at Royal Ascot. Nice for some, isn't it, Smithy?
1: It is nice for some. Matt, uh, we can only dream, we can only just put it in the bucket list and maybe one day we'll be able to pull it out. But uh, yes, yeah, bigs Jump's big jump Day tomorrow. We're here in Hastings. As I look out the window, Matt, I can tell you we're going through a reasonable patch of uh, fine weather anyway. I don't think it's rained since about Tuesday, so uh, it'll be heavy, um, but uh, I would be looking for... the. Uh, the Nelson-McDougall team to be to the fore, and the Cossack not racing, but I think they've still got some fairly juicy chances in the jumps races tomorrow. Matt, have a terrific weekend. Uh, I'll be listening to your calls. I'll be in the pub tonight. They always turn the trots up. Uh, There's a big trotting faction in our pub, so the trots get turned up and the gallops get turned down, so work that out. But uh, you'll be uh, booming around our pub tonight, so I look forward to it.
10: All right, Smither, you have a, a lovely evening and a lovely weekend, and good luck to you and your listeners on The Punt.
1: Cheers, man. Thank you, Matt uh, Cross, uh, who's uh, on deck tonight. As I say, uh, his first race, 5.22 uh, this evening, going through into uh, the evening, and then back on deck of course, on Sunday afternoon. And listen to him with Louis Herman Watt tomorrow morning on the Mail Run. We'll be back with Mark Stafford very shortly.